0: Went straight down the middle. Then it started.
1: Welcome to another edition of For the Good of the Game. And Bruce Devlin, we've got a guest this morning that's much younger than you. She's a major <laughs> she's a major champion, and she's just right down
0: the road from me. That's right. She is yeah, she's uh, she's about uh eighteen months younger than me. Uh she doesn't she looks a lot younger than that, though, I must say. And this uh, young lady has won four times on the PGA Tour, uh, LPGA Tour, that is. And in 1962 was the U.S. Women's Open champion. What a pleasure to have with us today, Merle Breer. Thank you, Merle, for joining well, Mike you. and I. We look forward to this. Thank you.
2: I look forward to it also.
0: Merle, great to have
1: you. Welcome to For the Good of the Game. and. uh, uh as we've talked about, we're here to tell your life story. And to do that, we have to start at the very beginning. So why don't you tell us about what life was like growing up, I assume, in in Florida?
2: Yes, I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. And uh, we, we were just an average family, never played golf in my life. And I went to a, a movie called Pat and Mike. Uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine sure. Hepburn. Yeah. And I just was watching that movie, and I came home, and I said, I want to be a professional golfer. My Mother. brother played baseball, and uh, I thought, there's there aren't any opportunities for, for women in, in any sports except golf or tennis. And so I thought, I'm going to take up golf. And not long after that, um, there was... I had in the paper about uh, a clinic for youngsters. So my mother took me to that, and I played a lot of softball and was into a lot of sports, and I thought I could play golf. I thought it was going to be easy, but (laughs) everybody knows how hard and difficult golf is. But I always remember being at the clinic, and the golf pro was explaining the grip and I thought, I can grip it the way I hit a baseball better. And I was out there hitting balls, and the balls would never get up. And they wouldn't get airborne.
0: <laughs> so he came
2: over and fixed my hands on the club, and I swung, and the ball went up in the air, and it just thrilled me so much. I thought, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> so anyway, that was that was the beginning of my golf, going to that Atlantic.
1: How old were you when you saw that? When you saw that movie?
2: I was about 14.
1: All right. And just remind our listeners who some of the LPGA stars were that were featured in that movie. Do you remember?
2: I think Babe Zaharias, Bobby Patty Berg, and I think Marlene Hagee was in it. I'm not sure, but I remember Babe Zaharias.
1: Well, she might have been. And as you as you remind us of Marlene Hagee, of course, we should note to our listeners we're recording this. In the year 2023, and unfortunately, the last living founder of the LPGA uh, Tour, Marlene bauer uh passed away just recently. So we'll certainly talk about her and the other founders, but uh, I'm sure that's a lady you remember well.
2: Oh, I do. Marlene was uh, a great player. She worked hard, and uh, she uh, she was always um, set a a good example, I think, on the golf course for all of us. She was very feminine, and uh, I was kind of a tomboy a little bit when I was younger. And when I came out on tour, I think Marlene kind of helped me to know how to dress. <laughs> and, uh, she was very helpful. And so I, you know, I have good memories of Marlene.
0: Well, I have a long memory of her. Uh, Merle, that you might be interested in. When I was 17 years old, I played in a golf tournament in Australia called the Lakes Open, and Marlene Hagee was there, and I... In the pairings for that golf tournament on the Thursday, I was paired with Kel Nagel, whose name you will remember, mm-hmm. and Marlene Hay. And I walked in, had lunch, had lunch with the both of them. And she said to me, she said to Kel, first of all, she said, Kel, is this your son? And <laughs> Kel said, no, no, this is not my son. Uh, uh, how old do you think I am? He's 17. How old do you think I am? He, she said, Oh, I, I don't know. He said, Well, I'm 34. <laughs> and she said, "Well, well, that would work." <laughs> so it was sort of funny. With
2: Marlene at that
0: time. That's right. Yeah. Well, she couldn't have. Uh, she were, I think she was a little bit older than uh, me. Maybe, maybe twenty. Mm-hmm. So that would put her uh, passing at like eighty-nine. Would that be about right? I think.
2: I think so. I think yeah. she was eighty-nine.
0: And
1: sort of Anyhow. interesting history there, too, uh, which you may be aware of, Merle, as you as you probably know. Her and her sister, Alice, were two of the 13 founders of the LPGA tour. Alice oh. married to a guy named Bob Hagee. Right. Uh, remember they, Bob. they then ended that marriage. And Bob goes on to marry Marlene, Marlene. Hagee, the sister. Uh. <laughs> uh, Bob then later changes his name to Robert Von, Von Hagee. Hage. And guess who Bruce Devlin partners up with for 130-plus golf course designs around the world? Robert <laughs> Von Hege. <laughs> yeah. Small is world, isn't amazing it?
2: Amazing story.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get back to your younger childhood, and then we're going to talk some more about LPGA history. But uh, So you see that movie, and I, I I remember watching that, and you named some of the pros that were in it. That, that was your inspiration, but... You know, at age, as you say, 13, 14, for, for a lot of our uh, former golf greats, that's sort of a late start, particularly nowadays. Yeah.
2: Well, it was kind of a late start, but, uh, you know, it worked out.
1: Yeah, I mean, did you, your your folks or parents didn't play, friends didn't play,
0: That's Nobody just the way played, you sort of got interested.
2: Just had a brother that played baseball.
0: That's it. Yeah. Huh? He played yeah. professional
2: baseball, so.
0: Well, you watch that movie and you get an interest, and then uh, within twelve months, I see where you had a job at a pro shop.
2: Yes, uh, well, it didn't I had, take you long. <laughs> no, it didn't take me long. I um, I went to junior college for a little while, and uh, this golf pro that I knew from uh, Pasadena Golf Club in Saint Petersburg uh, had an opportunity to be. Uh, head pro at this par 3 in Clearwater, Florida. And so he talked me into coming to work for him. He said, Merle, you want to play golf? This would be a wonderful opportunity for you. You can hit golf balls as much as you want on the range and help me out in the pro shop, and uh, you can get started. So I thought it was a good idea. So I quit school and did that.
1: Mm. We're going to come back to the unique way you became a professional, but uh, you know, Bruce and I are always fascinated in the early years, how you developed hand-eye, other participation in sports. As you said, you played a lot of different sports, and that's very common across all the golf greats we've talked to. Right.
2: I played a lot of softball. In fact, I played in uh, three world softball tournaments Ah. in Portland, Oregon, and California, Southern California and then played uh, the third one in uh, Clearwater, Florida. Mm. So I had that yes. in my background.
1: Was this 12-inch slow pitch or fast pitch?
2: This was fast pitch. Ah. It there's, the,
1: there's the hand the It zoomed by real
2: fast. <laughs> it,
1: it, it gets to the plate pretty quickly, doesn't it?
2: Yes, it does, especially in softball because they're a little closer. The mound yeah. is closer to home plate.
1: Yeah. So you, you played some team sports and some individual sports yes, as well? Yes, I
2: played volleyball and basketball in high school and just played all the sports I could could play.
1: So what was it about golf that, uh, I you don't found know. It, it
2: sort of intrigued me, I guess. But, you know, golf is so different than other sports because you have to think a lot. And of course that's bad news. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get to thinking too much. But, uh, anyway, uh, it was, um, uh, it was a sport that uh, I was challenged by. And, of course, after I went to the the little clinic, I was really challenged. And then once I hit that ball up in the air, I thought, hmm, I could play this sport. Yeah. But, you know, the, the golf ball just doesn't always do what you want it to do. So no, you have to have a lot of patience with golf. And I think in my younger years, I didn't. I wasn't as patient as I could have been.
1: Yeah. Early on, did you find it to be a lonely game with all that's going on between your ears when you're trying to play?
2: Well, yeah. It uh, it was kind of interesting. You sort of get to know yourself a lot by playing golf. And I remember I used to get my little bag, carry bag, and go out and walk 18 holes and think, I could be out swimming somewhere and enjoying <laughs> Myself and I'm <laughs> out here perspiring away in Saint Petersburg, Florida, and <laughs> in the warm, hot sunshine. But anyway,
0: so the love for here. you. I'm sorry, Mill, but uh, the love for the game. Uh, obviously, you must have enjoyed hitting golf balls and practicing.
2: Oh, I did. I always wanted. Now, yeah, I enjoyed hitting my driver. See how far I could hit it. You know, playing softball, you. I guess I had a knack for wanting to hit the ball a long way. But anyway, practiced a lot.
1: Tell us about your early equipment. What were your first clubs?
2: Oh, well, my first clubs, my mother bought them at a garage sale. I think they were Bobby Jones. I wish I still had them, but I don't. But anyway, they had kind of flimsy shavs on them. And that's what I started off with. And, uh, I remember playing in uh, in my, I played on the boys' golf team in high school, and uh, I was always intimidated by other golfers who had this nice equipment, and I had this crummy equipment. <laughs> but anyway, um, I remember playing in uh, the Girls' State High School golf tournament. I think we had it in Lakeland, Florida that the year I graduated from I the last year I was in high school. And uh, anyway, I was playing with, uh, I played against uh, Tish Proust. That's what her name was, Tish Proust. But anyway, i always remember this. I had this crummy little golf bag in my little clubs. And she had she had these real nice golf clubs and nice bag and her dad caddied for her and I was carrying my clubs. But, Anyway, as it worked out, I ended up winning the tournament. So, And that just kind of encouraged me a little bit more
1: I'll to bet. pursue
2: more of this game of golf.
1: Yeah, yeah. So who was instrumental in helping you uh, with your game, help it develop in your early years? Was it the pro there at uh, the, uh, the, the the nine-hole course in Clearwater?
2: Not really. Um the one that was instrumental was, uh, his name was Andy Mocassari. He was the one that had the clinic. Okay. And he kind of tutored me and took me under his wings. And uh, he was instrumental in uh, getting somebody to buy a nice set of golf clubs for me. So I had a good set of golf clubs. And he worked with me uh, after high sc- after my uh, my day at high school several times, uh, a month. And, uh, he was really just very instrumental. Um, uh, I think there was, there was another, uh, golf pro by the name of Johnny Knoll that gave me a series of six lessons, which I, to this day, I still use some of the, uh, fundamentals that he, uh, gave me. And anyway, what happened it was kind of tragic. He, he was he was flying in a small airplane to go look at a, a golf course somewhere in North Florida, and the plane crashed and he was killed. Mm-hmm. So that was really kind of a sad time for me.
1: Yeah, that's bad. Did you play in junior college?
2: No, I didn't. I didn't stay there long enough to play.
1: <laughs> okay, all right. Then the reason I ask, as you mentioned, you didn't have a high school team for the girls played on the boys team. Pretty typical back in your day, right because oh, it that was way before title nine
2: so it yeah. was really it was, it was kind of a struggle you know to to uh, to play golf back then for women anyway for young young women
1: yeah it it almost was uh I don't know about taboo, but it wasn't very fashionable for women to be considered athletes other than as you say maybe golf or tennis right
2: right that was it. You're absolutely right.
1: Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me, one in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story
0: so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And
1: guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf, and that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pan and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about my albatross? And at some point, you guys broke that mold.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh, so choice. many
2: opportunities today, it seems like. I mean, you know, golf for women has just blossomed. And it's really good to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, but but all the players of your vintage, you know, you, you sort of the same. The very few opportunities for golf uh, competition in school, uh, you had to find your way into the various regional and, and local tournaments that you could play in, and so forth. Where the uh, the younger players that we've interviewed, I'm talking about now, people in their sixties, even right, <laughs> uh, they were they were post title line, and so they had right. much different opportunity to compete at a high level in college.
2: Right. Yeah, it's just, uh, we just didn't have very many opportunities when I graduated from high school.
1: You've got a unique story in terms of how you turned professional.
2: Well, that was kind of a strange situation. (laughs) Well, we had opening day and uh, I was scampering around trying to do what I could in the shop. And uh, all of a sudden, the golf pro comes in and he said, Merle, get your shoes on and get your clubs because you're going to play in the pro-am. And I said, oh, okay. So I uh, scampered around, got everything together. I ran out to the tee, and then um, this photographer for the local Clearwater Sun, I think it was called, uh, took a picture of me. And uh, anyway, I was announced as a pro in the group.
0: <laughs>
2: Back then, if you had made an announcement that you were going to be a golf pro, well, that was it, you know.
0: You lost your amateur status. I lost my
2: amateur standing. So <laughs> I played and then the next day here's this picture that I had turned pro. <laughs> so so I guess I said, Well, I wanted to be a golf pro, so here I am.
0: <laughs> uh, and that that was when how old were you then when that happened?
2: I think I was um uh, I had just turned nineteen, I think. Eighteen or nineteen.
0: And that's when you turn professional too. Actually, that's when I turned professional. professional.
2: I thought, well, I want to be a golf professional, so this is it. And then not long after that, they had a tournament in uh, Tampa, the LPGA, and so I went over there and uh, entered the tournament. And then I think it was Gloria Armstrong. I don't really remember that name or not, but. Uh, She was kind of instrumental in helping me in the early days. She came up to me and she said, Merle, do you want to be a member of the LPGA? And I said, I would love to be a member of the LPGA. (laughs) But I said, how do I become a member? She said, well, we're having a meeting this afternoon and we'll vote you in. And I thought, well, that sounds good. And uh, so anyway, I was real shy and just intimidated by everything. And I could remember... I can remember uh being at the tournament and seeing Mickey Wright and Patty Berg and I was scared to death to even walk by him that's how shy I was but at any rate uh I became a member of the LPGA that week and started my my career then
1: It's it's got to be fascinating for our listeners to hear you talk about uh Becoming a pro and becoming an LPGA member. Not a lot of formalities back in the day. No. Uh.
2: Yeah, when I think of it today, I think, hmm, all the things they have to go through, all the hoops and everything they have to go through to uh, be a member of either the PGA or the LPGA. It's very difficult. Yeah,
1: yeah so you skipped right by qualifying school because there right. wasn't one. No
2: qualifying school. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah. have to go through all that. But yeah.
1: there was a lot of pressure, you know, just going out and playing. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce, we've heard some wild stories about how some of these ladies declared uh, being a pro, including one, I think, where I don't remember who it was, sitting in a clubhouse, and it might have been Babe Zaharias walks up and puts a book on the table, says, place your hand on the book, raise your right hand, and repeat after me.
0: I am now a professional. <laughs> <sighs> strange, isn't it? <laughs> that is
2: strange. <laughs> Oh.
0: So you turned pro in 58, right? Right. Uh, joined the tour in 58. Joined so. the
2: tour, played in Havana, Cuba. That was one of my, that was ah. my second tournament.
0: Ah, tell us about that.
2: That was interesting. Yeah. yeah. My my folks drove me over to West Palm Beach and I got on a plane and flew with the gals down to Havana, Cuba.
0: Ah, was God, nice. That was quite
2: was a thrill. Just-
1: was that just before Castro taking over? That away, was, huh? yeah.
2: That was before. That was. Uh, let's see, Batista was the the leader, I think, of Cuba at the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The second time we went down there, uh, we had literal tanks coming between down the road between the first green and the second tee. We had to cross this road to get to the second tee. And they told us not to go downtown because there were bombs going off at theaters and everything. So it was kind of a scary time. I thought, why are we down here? (laughs) But but anyway, everything worked out all right. We all got home safe and sound.
1: Yeah. And you say that was your second trip that happened?
2: That was the second trip. That was when Castro took over.
1: So on the first trip, was it it a bit more peaceful on your first trip? Because I've always thought, what, what a, a neat city to see back pre-Castro in its oh, heyday. It was
2: beautiful. You know, it was just paradise. I can remember sitting out uh, at the club after I finished the practice round and having a coconut shell with coconut ice cream in it. And I thought, this is really living.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, you can see the water and everything. It was just beautiful.
1: Yeah. I mean, all the photos you see of just what a idyllic place it was back in the day before the revolution. Yeah. So tell us about the early days of the LPGA tour, because uh, one of the things we enjoy talking about is just how you guys got around, particularly at first year, you're learning new courses, you're making new friends, you're trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B. Life had to be pretty hectic that, uh, that first year on tour.
2: Well, it was, and I think everybody kind of worked together a lot, uh. We helped each other quite a bit. Um, now, I mentioned Gloria Armstrong. It uh, was very nice. I didn't have a car. I don't know how I got around. I, I <laughs> caught rides with different golfers, and uh, Gloria helped me out quite a bit. And uh, I think Wiffy Smith gave me rides, and, uh, and Peggy Kurt Bell helped me out a lot in the early years. She was, she was very instrumental in, in helping me.
1: Well, and, and early early on, I think Peggy Kirkbell's uh, daughter, Bonnie, was buddies with uh, the Cornelius girls and your two daughters and Tui Rankin, right?
2: Right, right. Bonnie was quite a gal. I was just so sad when we lost her. Um, I just couldn't believe it. But she was, you know, the whole Peggy Kirkbell family was wonderful to me. Yeah. And I used to spend time at Pine Needles and. And I'd had a great place to practice. And I remember Peggy telling me, Merle, you need to get married. <laughs> she kept telling me that all the time. <laughs> and I said, Well, I don't have anybody I'm dating to get married right now. But anyway, that did happen. And
1: <laughs> yeah, she, well,
2: uh, she was very instrumental in my life.
1: Yeah, well, Bruce and I had a chance not too long ago to visit with Kathy Cornelius. Of course, Kathy won the 1956. women's u.s open and uh, we just released her life story on the podcast today
2: oh you did i'll be i'm gonna look forward to to watching that kathy and i were very good friends and we have been i talked to her oh probably seven or eight months ago
1: yeah well her daughter Kay, who's still teaching and of course won the won the girls juniors making them the first and maybe only mother-daughter usga champion duo in history uh kay was quite helpful to bruce and i to yeah, kind of get was. that all worked out with oh, mother. I
2: met she's a very very fine young woman
1: yeah, yeah she is so life on the road uh how long did it take you before you sort of settled in and felt comfortable with that nomadic lifestyle oh,
2: i don't know i i remember uh just having, I, I always had enough money to get myself back home. You know, it was just week to week because we didn't, you know, we didn't have make the big checks that they're, they're making now, naturally. And uh, but anyway, as I uh, recall, um, it took me a couple of years. And I think after two years, I said, "I just have to get a car." I stayed with uh, a family up in uh, Iowa that had a a car, a Ford dealership. And they were instrumental in helping me get a Ford. So that was my first car. And I was just really thrilled to have my own car. I don't know whether I I was thinking today, I thought, I wonder if I had air
0: conditioning.
2: I can't remember. <laughs> <Whether> <laughs> well, I had so you got to tell us you got to
0: tell us how much you paid for that car too. Bet I bet it was I a fortune. I think I paid
2: about $1900 for it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> what <laughs> I thought something I figured like that.
2: that. But it was a yeah. it was a black a little black uh, Ford uh, coupe. But I cherished yeah. it cuz it, you know, I bought that it with my money it. and uh, it was something I had worked for.
1: Everybody remembers their first car fondly. Right. You meant the truth. And, you know, some of the ladies, I guess, were going around in motorhomes and campers. Oh, and yeah. Well, that came homes, on right?
2: later on after I played a few years. And, and then they were all, like, several of them were getting the campers and traveling around. And uh, I remember Jerry Britz had this huge, I always used to call it the Hilton.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mm. such a beautiful
2: camper uh well to me it was uh, like a a house almost but <laughs> well, yeah. was her home on the on
1: the, the way road. it was described the way it was described for us by uh, by someone was gerlinde britz's camper was a rolling sporting goods store
0: oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah that's right <laughs> i think you have it right <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I think uh, was there a Shannon somebody on the tour? Was it Shannon? Shannon or Sharon? Maybe Sharon. Oh, Sharon
2: Moran. No, Sharon Miller.
1: Yep, Sharon Miller. So Sharon Miller tells a story about uh, a bunch of the ladies camping with their campers. They invited guests. They had a little cookout, and then they had a chipping contest, and the winner got the leftovers. And sh- and Sharon is quoted as saying, Gerlin Britz won the beans." <laughs> <That's right. laughs> those were simpler days.
2: They were simple days. I remember camping out one time in a tournament in, in uh, Gat- um, It was Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and I was. I had. I was riding with. Uh, I caught a ride with Whiffy Smith she had two dogs in this convertible and uh anyway she said she was going to camp out so i thought well i guess i'll camp out too yeah. <laughs> i've never camped out before and uh but anyway it was exciting we had uh, we had to put our food up high uh on a clothesline so the bears wouldn't get the food and it was in the spring of the year and i always remember this um I remember one night, I mean, she had this great big tent. That I had a bedroom, and she had a bedroom, um, and her dogs were barking. And all of a sudden, I, I said, there are bears out there. And there were two black bears, and they were howling like gangbusters, and I was scared to death. And <laughs> I said to Withy, I said, I don't know about you, but I'm going to take a run for your car. And I, You know, not knowing whether it was locked or not, I guess we didn't lock yeah. cars back then. So oh, yeah. I didn't even think about it being locked, but it wasn't locked. But anyway, I got in the, the the car, and there were two college professors that were camping near us. And uh, anyway, apparently this bear uh, was getting close to them, and one of the the fellows, one of the college professors, ran to Whiffy's car and got in the, the back with me, and we were down there, and this bear was coming around the car, and you could hear his... <laughs> You know how bears, you know, you've heard bears on TV make this awful noise. And I thought that was, I thought that was the end of me. My heart felt like it was outside my body. It was beating so hard. And, um, anyway, I thought, what am I doing? I'm in this car and here's this college professor. He just ran over, you know, he had his sleeping clothes on. He gets in the car with me and I'm, you know, anyway, um, the other fellow turned his lights on, and the bears just kind of scattered then. So that Man. was the end of that story. But that was a scary night. I thought that was the end of me. I thought, here, we have food in the cars, the convertible. You know, it doesn't take much for a bear to
1: demolish it.
2: But anyway.
1: yeah. So much for camping, huh? So
2: much for camping. And I had to play golf the next day.
1: <laughs> yeah. It probably made playing golf a little easier after that experience. Well, yeah. Yeah.
2: What's a three foot
1: putt after that, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, just again, recapping for our listeners the professional career of of Merle Breer, uh, she had five professional wins. We're going to talk about all of them, including four LPGA Tour victories, joining the tour in 1958. Uh, The big one, of course, was the major that she won, which we're going to talk about because she came right out of the box with her first win in that major. Uh, but uh, I understand Patty Berg had a bit of influence on your career as well.
2: Yes, she did. Patty, uh Patty was the type of person that she would, uh, she'd always invite people over and she would uh, talk with us and encourage us. And she encouraged me a great deal. And uh, I'm just very appreciative of, of Patty. And I used to watch her play and I marveled at how she hit the golf ball and how she putted, and and uh, she was just a marvelous uh, lady of golf. And, and Marilyn Smith was uh, instrumental to. Uh, she was very helpful to the younger players, encouraging all of us, you know, to encouraging encouraging us where we needed to be, and
1: in, in game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you probably had an opportunity to see a few Patty Bird clinics. I guess we oh, yes. had about fourteen thousand. That's,
2: that's where she encouraged me. Um, yeah. we had these clinics every week and she'd always say, ball first, turf after. And I always remember uh, that ball first, turf after, not turf first and then ball.
0: <laughs> I yeah. think that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> to yeah, me. but anyway,
2: she you know, she always went over the fundamentals and ball position and posture and, uh, and and all the different things that we need to understand about the game. So, I, you know, going to her clinics every week, it, it was sort of drilled into you. And that's how I, that's how kind of how I learned how to play, just by yeah. uh, learning, you know, from the clinics and watching the good players.
1: Yeah, because uh, she'd do a clinic during tournament week and she'd line several of you up and then. Bing, bing, bing. You guys were asked to hit different shots, right?
2: Right. I remember the first time, I, I think the first clinic I was in was in in Havana, Cuba. And I had to hit a wedge. I was scared to death <laughs> to hit a wedge. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't really stand up there correctly. And I remember Marilyn Smith uh, talked to me after that. She said, Marilyn, you need to uh, not stand with such an open stance and I, I, I don't know what I look like but it must have been pretty bad <laughs> but anyway she tuned me in to how I should be set up with my feet and my body
1: thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game and please wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify if you like what you hear please subscribe, spread the word and tell your friends until we tee it up again with the good of the game. So long, everybody.
0: Whack down the fairway It went smack down the fairway Then it started to slice just a smidge off line It headed for two, but it bounced off nine My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay Yes, it went straight down the middle Quite a way